Okay, thank you. Let's have just have a word of prayer. Lord, I do pray you bless the talk now. Help me to speak as led by your Holy Spirit. We do pray, Lord, for gain for Israel, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for your word to go out and accomplish your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, as Kewan mentioned, we are laying out Light for Last Days on Wednesday. I have a problem already with Light for Last Days because it's out of date. Printed it last week, and yesterday the war started, so the headline which says Israel matters, peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia, well, probably not going to happen. Uh, so I wonder what to do about it, whether to completely scrap it and rewrite it. But actually what I say in this article is still relevant because it's speaking about the possibility of war as well. But I think what I'll do is pass up, we will mail out the magazine, I'll put an insert into it with some information about what's happened, which I'll write tomorrow and put on our duplicator and put in with this magazine. And I am considering actually rewriting the whole magazine so we can give it out with the latest information in it, uh, which would take a couple of weeks, I guess, to get it written and printed. So I do pray about that. There's some interesting articles in it, apart from the, that one. There's one called Marking the Masses, which tells you about progress of technology towards the uh, 666 system. And also, as I was a bit pushed to time, I didn't... Uh, I recycled an old article, which is actually my testimony, which some people read and found interesting already, so you can read that and pass it on. Okay, so we're going to talk today about what's happened. I had to rewrite my sermon uh, yesterday as well. But I was going to look at the present situation in the light of Bible prophecy. Already said, we've seen this horrendous attack on Israel from Hamas last started yesterday. Benjamin Netanyahu has declared that Israel is now at war and there is a danger that this war could spread to Hezbollah, to other parts of the Middle East and could lead to something much bigger. It certainly is, as I said in the prayer, a reminder of the Yom Kippur War when Israel was caught off guard and on a, day, on a holy day, a Jewish holiday, when Egypt and Syria invaded and nearly cut Israel off in the Yom Kippur War. Only answer to prayer actually saved Israel at that time. And the action of the United States, one has to say, in supplying Israel with uh, weapons to defend themselves. But Israel yesterday was called off guard. It was the last day of tabernacles, the Sukkot holiday, and most people were either on holiday or going about their business, and suddenly they hear that there's been this invasion of their territory. And suddenly it was an intelligence failure on Israel's side. We've seen Israelis now being uh, the villages around the kibbutz. If you know the geographic situation in the south of Israel, around Gaza, there are a number of towns. Sidorot is one of them, kibbutzim. And Hamas broke through the fence. They bulldozed the fence and managed to invade Israel with hundreds, thousands, I think, of, of uh, their fighters, which itself was an extraordinary failure actually on Israel's side because that's supposed to be well uh, policed and looked after. So they uh, taken a number of people hostages. I said in the prayer, we can't imagine what it must be like to be taken hostage by Hamas and taken into Gaza. 
And there is a real danger of a regional war kicking off from this. It's very likely that Israel will send its t tanks into Gaza, in which case you could see a lot of death. Then there'll be a lot of uh, opprobrium heaped upon Israel from the media and everybody else. And we can really just pray that it'll be held back, but it's not a good situation. It's interesting that uh, on the 22nd of, November, of September, uh, Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, went to the UN and gave a speech in which he spoke about the possibility of the Israel-Saudi deal. The Israel-Saudi deal would mean that Israel makes peace with Saudi Arabia, along with other Arab countries it's already made peace with, along with Jordan, with Egypt, and you have a peace block in the Middle East, which would spread not just to the Middle East, but would also connect uh, India through the Middle East to Europe, so have a connection, transport, links, all kinds of links which would benefit all of those countries. And he was holding this up as a possibility of peace. He said there was also a possibility of war, a possibility of the curse. And he referred to a passage in the book of uh, Deuteronomy where God says, Behold, I set before you a, today a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way in which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. Now it should be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerazim and the curse on Mount Ebal, for you shall cross over the Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you and you shall possess it and dwell in it and you should be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments which I set before you today. So he spoke about the blessing and the curse. The blessing will be peace, prosperity, the nations coming together, end to conflict. The curse would be war. And he referred to this ambitious project to make peace between Israel and the countries round about. And he spoke about the vision of peace which he had, of moderate Islamic states and an alliance with Israel, opposing the radical states who were intent on disturbing the peace. One thing which he didn't mention was the connection in the Bible between observing God's statutes and judgments and having the blessing. And I think that's one issue which is very much on my heart as I think about Israel today, because part of the problem in Israel is today is that although they have kind of nominal Judaism in many quarters, many of them are living right against God's commandments. And so actually they can't ask God to bless them until they get right with God. And ultimately they can only get right with God through Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. But he spoke with a vision of peace. And he said the vision of peace was the blessing. On one vision, he said, the peace would be a world in which Israel and Saudi Arabia make a historic and transformational peace treaty and many Arab and Muslim states follow suit. Israel and the Palestinians choose, Iran and the Palestinians choose peace instead of terrorism and nuclear war. And the world cooperates to ensure that artificial intelligence brings dramatic new blessings of peace and prosperity to all mankind. That was the blessing. The other side, the curse, the vision of war. The other vision is a world in which Iran and the Palestinians choose war instead of peace. The world does nothing to stop the Iranian regime from acquiring nuclear weapons, and a terrible war erupts in the Middle East. Artificial intelligence replaces humanity with machines, jobs are decimated, tyranny reigns, and AI leads the world into an unimaginable 
in catastrophic war. It has to say that the prospect for option two has increased dramatically in the last day or two. We're on the brink of terrible events which took place in the Middle East, but not just in the Middle East, around the world. And option one looks a bit like a forlorn hope. We see in many ways around the world the distress of nations, Russia, Ukraine, goes on and on. Uh, the Russians recently spoke about the real threat they were making to use nuclear weapons if they don't get their way in Ukraine. China's threatening Taiwan. <laughs> nuclear possibilities, if that goes off, North Korea. Nuclear weapons threatening its neighbors, Iran, terrorism, the Middle East and Israel, and to its own people. Meanwhile, there's actually a huge debt price uh, problem which is threatening the economy of the West, especially the United States. And if you know what this issue about the, the uh, Speaker of the House or representatives comes ultimately down to the fact that it, the United States is three, $33 trillion in debt, went up by $2 trillion in the last six months. Uh, the crisis in the Congress is actually, that's part of the, the reason for that crisis which is taking place. How are they going to deal with it? Uh, China's economy is also in trouble. Russia's economy also in trouble. And the European Union. And all these countries are shaking. What's going to come out of it? Well, we live in perilous times. And the Bible says in the last days there will be perilous times. It'll lead up to the second coming of Jesus the Messiah. Therefore, we have to be ready for the coming of the Lord. We don't know the time frame. It may be delayed. It may be hastened. But we have to recognize that these things happening are not just accidental, they're fulfillments of Bible prophecy. We know from the scriptures that two events are going to take place. We're in dispute over the order. One is the rapture of the church, that those who believe in Jesus will be supernaturally taken out of this world and taken to be with the Lord uh, in the event which we call the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the other one is the great tribulation period, which is written in Matthew 24. Revelation 6 through to 19, time of unique trouble, which will precede the second coming of Jesus to the earth. If you're an optimist, the rapture comes before the tribulation, and it could happen any time now. If you're a pessimist, it comes at the end of the tribulation, and you've got to get ready to go through the time of trouble. Either way, the answer is to believe in Jesus, because he's the one who's going to keep you either in the trouble or from the trouble. But the fact that these things are taking place now, it should be a sign to us whether we're young or old, and young people may think, well, this is a bit of a threat to my future. In some ways, yes, it is. But if you believe in Jesus, you've got a glorious future. Uh, and nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. So believe in Jesus. Now, we have to look specifically today at the issue relating to Israel and what's taking place. I'm going to read one or two scriptures today which relate to the events in the Middle East. Uh, Interestingly, the leader of the Hamas has called the operation which he has launched the Al-Aqsa Flood. Bit of a strange title. So first of all, what is Al-Aqsa? Al-Aqsa is the mosque which is on the Temple Mount. Uh, it's the center point, if you like, of the uh, tribulation, of the, the issue. Actually, can you go back, just go back to the first one? which shows you a picture of it. Yeah, there. That's the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the silver dome down there. That's the dome of the rock. 
That's the Western Wall. They're all in the center of Jerusalem, in the old city of Jerusalem, which Israel took possession of in 1967. Uh, and when they took possession of the old city of Jerusalem, they handed back control over the Temple Mount, which is where well, Al-Aqsa is, to the Jordanians called the Waqf. And they now have control over who can pray on the Temple Mount. And the present time, Jews and Christians can go up there, but they can't pray there, or can't pray openly. Uh, so that is one of the issues which is facing the world today. And there have been an increased number of Jewish people who wanted to go up to the Temple Mount during the Sukkot holiday and to pray there openly. And Hamas says that the part of their operation is because of this, they're avenging and defending the sanctity of the Temple Mount, the, what they call the Haram al-Sharif. As far as Islam is concerned, this is the third holiest place in Islam after Mecca and Medina. They say it's a place where Muhammad ascended to heaven and got his commandments about how to live, including praying five times a day. Uh, apparently did it 40 years after he died because Alexa wasn't built till after Muhammad died, but that's another story. If Muhammad even existed, but that's another story as well. But I won't get into too much of the politics of that. But basically the whole issue, the fundamental issue which is surrounding this is the control of this place. Which ties in with the Bible prophecy in Zechariah. It says that Jerusalem is going to be the burdensome stone burdening all nations. So there's going to be something happening concerning this place which will be concentrate the minds of the nations upon Jerusalem. And since 1967, when Israel took possession of the old city of Jerusalem, that has been the situation. Okay, coming back to uh, the slide number five, if you want to. Uh, the leader of Hamas, a man called Mohammed Daif, he called this operation Al-Aqsa Flood. Uh, the word flood is also interesting. Why flood? Uh, actually, in the Bible, the term flood is often used for an enemy invasion, an invasion of Israel. We'll come to that a bit later. But he said, uh, quote, today the people are regaining their revolution. He called on the Palestinians in East Jerusalem uh, to northern Israel to join the fight and expel the occupiers, demolish the walls. We must set the earth on fire under the feet of the occupiers. He said, claiming that Hamas had fired over 5,000 rockets into Israel. The 10 minute speech, the Shadiwe Daif, he claimed that the operation was launched in retaliation for Israel's desecration of the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the Temple Mount and as a follow-up of previous warnings by the group. He also called on the Islamic resistance in Lebanon, Iraq, Syria and Lebanon, uh, countries with terror movements that are military supported by Iran, to merge their resistance with that of the Palestinians and start marching towards Palestine today. So he's calling for not just their attack but a Islamic Jihad against Jerusalem. Whether that will be taken up, we'll see in the next few days. Um, the head of Hamas, who lives in the West Bank, has also issued a statement along the same lines, calling on Arab and Islamic nations to join the Al-Aqsa flood and to come against Jerusalem. Even the Taliban from Afghanistan have said they want to join the fight against Israel. So you're talking about a possible general mobilization of countries from the Islamic world coming against Israel. And this is a major crisis, of course, for Israel. Israel today is in shock. One has to say that this is the biggest crisis which has hit Israel since the Yom Kippur War. Israel was caught off guard. 
It was certainly a failure of intelligence. Some have called it Israel's 9-11 moment. And this could cause even the fall of the government. Find out who's responsible. Could then lead to a unity government coming out of Israel. It's also it's a massive blow to Israel's security. People are now afraid of being overwhelmed by Islamic revolutionary forces led by Iran. Also, it could mean the end of the Saudi deal. The Saudi deal does require Israel to make some concessions to the Palestinians. Israel's going to be very unlikely to make any concessions after this, supposing that they do manage to put down the, the rebellion, if you like. And there's a potential of huge destruction coming to Israel and to Gaza. And many people on both sides, and we don't just, do I do support Israel's right to exist, I don't deny the right of Arabs to exist, and we pray for them as well who are suffering because of this conflict. And there will be many people in Gaza who don't like the Hezbollah regime but can't do anything about it who are going to suffer as a result. If Lebanon joins in, uh, it will cause Israel to massively attack Lebanon, which could hasten the demise of Lebanon as a country even able to function. And you could see more unrest in the West Bank, in Jerusalem, and are generally plunging the area into war. That's why we need to pray, because we need to pray that God can hold back these forces of destruction. And it could spill over here as well. In fact, as I said in the prayer already, we've heard of uh, Hamas and their supporters harassing Jewish people last night. Uh, so that could be something which will continue. It happened last time there was a conflict in, uh, in the area. And as we're in the middle of this Jewish neighborhood, we should be praying and standing by the Jewish people at this time. Now, when we look at this, there are a number of prophetic passages which come to mind. I'm going to go through some of them. I don't know whether I have time to go through all of the ones I've got down here, but just to mention one or two quickly. First one is Psalm 83. Psalm 83, a psalm of Asaph. I'll read from the first verse. It says, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. Do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult. Those who hate you have lifted up their head. They've taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They've said, Come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the time of Israel may be remembered no more. They've consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagarites, Gebal, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria also has joined with them. They've helped the children of Lot. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Caesarea, as with Jabin at the brook of Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became as refuse on the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and Ze'ev, their Nebas like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take for ourselves the possession of God, the pastures of God for a possession. O oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, like the chaff of the wind, as the fire burns the woods, as the flame sets the fountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek you, your name, O God. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Uh, some would say this is a general psalm which speaks about the hostility of these nations. All of these nations, if you check them out, are countries which surround Israel. 
Uh, Moab is Jordan. Uh, and Philistia is obviously Palestine, Palestinian areas. Inhabitants of Tyre, that's Lebanon. Assyria, that's uh, Syria and the north of Iraq. So you've got countries which are surrounding Israel and these come against Israel. Now you could say that's happened already in this War of Independence in 1948, 1967. All these forces came against Israel. Uh, there are some who say that this is a future war as well. It's speaking about some event which is going to happen. Possible. One thing which you notice about this is that say they are enemies, your enemies, those who hate you have lifted up their head. So the people behind this are not just Israel's enemies, they're God's enemies. Which tells you that something of the spirit of anti-Semitism, hatred against Israel, is not just a political or a humanistic force, if you like, there is a spiritual power behind it. It's a demonic power. And there is power behind Satan, who hates God and who hates Israel and who hates believers in Jesus, behind this force which is coming against them. The enemies make crafty counsel against the Lord. They consult together and their aim is very clear. They say, come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. So the purpose behind this is not just to get a Palestinian state to live alongside Israel. The purpose behind this is to remove Israel from the map. One of the things you need to know about the political situation currently in the Middle East is you have two approaches from the Palestinians. One is the kind of peace program which goes along with the Oslo Accords, which was now motivating the Palestinian Authority up to a point, I have to say that, not just totally. But in theory, they believe that their aim is to have a Palestinian state alongside Israel. If you look behind the scenes, you find that once they get the Palestinian state, they want to use that to destroy the rest of Israel and have a Palestine from the Jordan to the Mediterranean. Evidence that even Yarafat had that idea behind him when he made the Oslo Accords back in 1993. But in principle, they say that they want a Palestinian state alongside Israel. Hamas rejects that. They don't want a Palestinian state alongside Israel. They want a Palestinian state to replace Israel and not just a Palestinian state, an Islamic fundamentalist state. Uh, so they want to have a state which will remove Israel from the map. That's what Hezbollah wants, that's what Iran wants as well. So you have this force which is calling for the destruction, the end of the state of Israel, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Interesting, the name of Israel, Israel, means prince with God. Israel is the only country which has the name of God in its name. So again, you've got this force against Israel. Israel is the only country which has its history written about in the past, uh, which is being fulfilled today. So you have prophecies in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and other prophecies which speak about the scattering of Israel to the nations and the return of the Jews at the end of days. Reason why many Christians are interested, not just because of the prophecy, but also because of our identification with the Jewish people, our prayers for them, is because we see the fulfillment of Bible prophecy in the return of the Jews to the land of Israel. So part of the program to remove Israel is also part of the program to stop the second coming of Jesus. So there's a connection here. So you have people who are against Jesus, who are against God, and who are also against Israel. And if you study the philosophy behind the Islamic fundamentalists, you find that they're all against the God of the Bible, they're against Israel, and they're against the true believers in Jesus and Messiah. 
They've got another God, they've got another Jesus, but it's not the real God. Okay, so these people are coming against Israel and they're coming against God. Um, goes on to speak about Zeba and Zalmunna. Interesting little verse here. It says, yes, make all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. So what does that mean? Let's take for ourselves what God has given to somebody else and make it ours. Can you see that? Let's take what God has given to Israel. Now, you could say, why should God give the land to Israel? Well, it's up to God, isn't it? <laughs> The Bible does say that God made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he give to Abraham and to his descendants the title deeds of ownership over the land of Israel. The Bible says even if they're scattered to the ends of the earth, he's going to bring them back to the land of Israel. It's God's business. If God says that, that's what he says. And God has preserved the Jewish people. He's brought them back to the land of Israel. Now we've got another group of people saying, let's go against this. Let's take the pastures of God for ourselves. Let's make it our place. According to Islam, God is, uh, the, Islam, the Muslims believe that the world is divided into two halves. One is called the Dar al-Hab, means the abode of the enemy. The other is called the abode of Islam, the house of Islam. In the house of Islam, Muslims rule over the country and it has to accept Muslim rules. In the house of the, house of the enemy, Muslims rule, Muslims are there as people who are under a hostile, hostile force. The goal of the jihad actually is to turn the Dar al-Hab, the house of the enemy, into the Dar al-Islam to make it Islamic. But according to Islamic teaching, once a country has become Islamic, it should remain Islamic until the end of days. Uh, so in, in, in the house of Islam, then Muslims rule, Jews and Christians are allowed to have their position, if you like, but they have to rule, they have to be under the Muslims and have to do what the Muslims tell you. You can't have Jews or Christians ruling over Muslims. It goes against their idea of history. That's why one of the statements about the Six-Day War from an Islamic fundamentalist in the, in the Al-Azhar University, which is the high place of Islam, said that this, goes, this is a contradiction of the march of history. We now have Jews ruling over Jerusalem. It's ours, it's Muslim. They can't rule over Jerusalem. It has to return to the Muslims. That's why actually there can never be a total peace between Islam and Israel. There can be those who will go along with it, but ultimately behind, because there's an ideology behind Islam which says that this is our place, this is the house of Islam. <clears throat> now you've got Jews ruling it over Muslims, goes against the march of history. So you've got <clears throat> these guys, Zeba and Zalmunna, saying let's take ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. So who was Zeba and Zalmunna? Probably not a regular subject of Bible teaching. But you will find out actually who Zeba and Zalmunna were. They were the kings of Midian who came against Israel in the days of Gideon. And in Judges chapter 8, you read how Gideon fought against them. <clears throat> and at the end, Gideon was successful and defeated them. And in Judges 8.21, it says, So Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmunna, and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camels' necks. So that little detail about the crescent ornaments, interesting. Actually only comes in the New King James Version, but the Hebrew word is saharonim, which does mean crescent ornaments. Why would they make crescent ornaments? Was it a dedication to their god? Crescent moon? 
Interests me that Allah, in pre-Islamic times, was used as the moon god in that part of the world. So Muhammad took this name for his god. So you have these guys who are coming against Israel with the crescent moon as their symbol. Now you have the people coming against Israel in the name of Allah with the crescent moon as their symbol. Is it just a coincidence? I think it's part of the whole situation. And they want to take possession of particularly Jerusalem and Al-Aqsa, the Temple Mount. And as I said already, Jerusalem is the burdensome stone. Okay, let's get back to the idea of the Al-Aqsa flood. Why the flood? Daniel chapter 9 is interesting. Daniel chapter 9, you have one of the most remarkable prophecies in the Old Testament, which gives you a clear indication that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, there's only one person who can fit Daniel 9, 26, that's Jesus. It says, after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. The people of the prince to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, till the end of the war desolations are determined. Okay, prophecy there which says, I won't go into all the details of it, just the basic point, it says there that someone's going to come called Messiah, Mashiach, going to be cut off, Yekaret Mashiach, for Ein Lo, says in Hebrew he's going to be cut off as a judgment, but not for himself, not for his, he's going to die as a judgment, but not for his own sins, for the sins of others. It can only apply to Jesus. Following his coming 40 years later, the people of the prince to come are going to destroy the city, Jerusalem and the sanctuary. What happened 40 years after Jesus came? There was a Jewish revolt. The Romans put down the revolt. When they put down the revolt, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple, burnt it with fire, so that not one stone was left standing upon another. Jesus also prophesied that in Luke and in Matthew. <clears throat> also says the image will be with a flood. So what's the flood? The flood's the invasion. So speaking here about the invasion which is going to come and it's going to lead to wars and desolations till the appointed time. In Daniel's prophecy, and I haven't time to go into this, but there's a long period of time between the fulfillment of verse 26, 26 and verse 27. It then says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. In the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, but on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So what does that mean? Uh, in Bible terms, I said the flood is an invasion followed by desolations and wars over Jerusalem. It took place in desolations of Jerusalem, different powers ruling over it, until our time when Israel regained possession of the Jerusalem in 1967, the old city. Verse 27, it says, he makes a covenant. Question is, who is he? Some people say he is the Messiah, is Jesus. He makes a covenant with us. But this covenant only lasts for seven years, so Jesus made a covenant which goes on forever. So that doesn't really add up. Also, when you use the word he, usually you're referring to the last person mentioned in the previous sentence. The last person mentioned is the prince to come. Uh, many people see the prince to come as one of Daniel's uh, prophecies which apprise to the Antichrist, not the true Messiah. But at some time, the Antichrist, the false Messiah, is going to come. He's going to make some kind of a peace deal. And he's going to break that peace deal halfway through the time that he's made it. Speaks about a period of one week. That's a period of seven years. 
middle of the seven-year period, he's going to put up an abomination of desolation in the holy place, according to Matthew 24. Going to set off the time of the final period of great tribulation, which will lead to the consummation, the end, which is determined, which will then be poured out on the one who makes desolate. So this prophecy actually speaks about some kind of a agreement being made with Israel at this time of the end. Uh, some are seeing this as a kind of peace agreement, which comes back to my, like for the last days, peace with Saudi Arabia. Some kind of agreement which will protect Israel from invasion, but will actually turn out to be a deception. It's interesting that the Oslo Accords, which, as I said, were made in 1993, uh, 30 years ago, probably were made as a deception, in fact, almost certainly as a deception by Yasser Arafat, who made them with the idea that he would make peace with his enemy while they were stronger than he is, but when he became stronger than they are, then he'd rip up the peace treaty, go to war with them, and wipe them out. And he had precedence for this in a treaty which Muhammad made, called the Truce of Hudabiyah, when he made peace with the Quraysh tribe, way back at the beginning of Islam, for a 10-year period, when his forces were stronger, their forces were stronger than his, then he built up his forces to be stronger than theirs, and once he moved peace stronger than theirs, he ripped up the peace treaty, went to war with them, took Mecca, and established Islam in Mecca. So the idea that you can make a peace treaty with your enemy and then rip it up is there in Islamic thinking. Is the Saudi proposal something like that? Or are they genuinely wanting to make peace with Israel? Some people shaking their heads. <laughs> but there is, the proposal is there. And what's interesting, it says in this, in this prophecy, he will make a covenant with many for one week. And this particular covenant, which is under review at the moment, involves not just Israel, not just the Palestinians, but involves Saudi Arabia. Along with Saudi Arabia will come much of the Muslim Sunni world. Uh, it involves the United States, which is behind it. Uh, the proposal actually is to make a link between not just Israel and Saudi Arabia, but right through the Middle East to India, uh, right through to Europe, uh, so that there'll be a trade and commercial and technical link between all of those countries to make peace in the region. So it's much bigger even than Israel and the Palestinians. It's a general peace for the region. So will it come to pass? Again, it's very much in question because this current thing has certainly sabotaged it. And some, would, some believe, in fact, I heard a reporter saying that, Israeli reporter saying that the reason why Hamas has done this is because they don't want this to happen. They don't want to have a peace agreement. They want to go for the war option. So they are sabotaging it so it won't happen. We'll see. There is a prophecy also in the book of Isaiah which suggests that this will be a deception. And Daniel himself says that the covenant is going to be broken halfway through halfway through the seven-year period, which will lead to the abomination of desolation in the holy place. In, Daniel, in Isaiah 28, it says in verse 1, no, not verse 1, it says, Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem, because you said we've made a covenant with death, with Sheol, or with hell, we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge under falsehood, we've hidden ourselves. So the prophecy there says that this covenant is going to be made with scornful men who rule this people in Jerusalem. In other words, the people ruling in Jerusalem are actually going to be scornful of something. I guess the scornful, what they're scornful of is the word of God. And particularly on the interpretation which we have 
that the word of God is pointing to the Messiah being Yeshua, who's going to come to bring the real peace at the end of days. They're going to make an, over, they're going to make an agreement to protect themselves from the overflowing scourge. What's the overflowing scourge? Some kind of invasion. And it says this is going to be lies. We're going to make lies our refuge under falsehood. We've hidden ourselves. So there's an implication here that whatever peace agreement comes out of this, and if a peace agreement does come after this, then it will be based not on truth, but on lies and deception. There'll be some people who won't buy it. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Also, I make justice the measuring line and righteousness the, cover, the plummet. The hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. So some people will not buy this. They will not act hastily and they will believe something. Now, if you act hastily, you're acting rashly. You're not acting according to understanding, if you like, understanding of God's word. They're going to believe something. What are they going to believe? Interestingly, it then speaks about a stone, a precious a cornerstone, and a sure foundation. What could that be? You go to Psalm 118, you find you find a reference to the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. A prophecy which is repeated five times in the New Testament and applied to Jesus. Jesus is the rejected stone who's going to become the head of the corner, despised and rejected, but to be exalted by God at the resurrection, to ascend to the right hand of the Father, to come back in power and glory and take up his rule and reign over Jerusalem and over the world at his second coming. So there are going to be people who are going to believe in Jesus and they're going to be taken in by this peace deal. Also, it says here he's going to sweep away the refuge of lies. Waters will overflow the hiding place. Something going to happen to sweep away this covenant. The covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overflowing pass, scourge passes through, then you'll be trampled down by it. As often it goes out, it will take you Morning by morning it will pass over, and by day and by night it will be terror just to understand the report. Now therefore do not be mockers, lest your bonds be made strong, for I have heard from the Lord of hosts a destruction, a complete end determined upon the whole earth. So it says there that there's going to be something, going to, God's going to do something to bring an end to this and to save his people from this scourge which goes through. Before it happens, there's going to be a terror to understand the report. In other words, the news is going to be terrible. I guess the news... Yesterday was terrible. So that's just a taste of what's to come. It also says that uh, God has made a destruction determined upon the whole earth. The word actually in Hebrew there is kalah. The word kalah is better translated a determined end. It means that God has a determined end for these things. We can see chaos, we can see confusion, we can see suffering, we can see war, but God actually has an end which is going to bring the opposite, going to bring peace, justice, at the return of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. So there is a hope in all of this, but only one hope in the stone which has been rejected but is now exalted to the highest place, who is Jesus. Okay, I've got uh, quite a bit more and I don't think I'm going to get through it all tonight, this morning, so I'll probably finish it off this evening. But one more scripture which we will look at this morning, which is Ezekiel 38. Somewhere into all this mix comes the prophecy of Ezekiel 38, which has never yet been fulfilled. It doesn't seem to connect to any other passage in the scriptures, so we're 
have some disagreements about where this prophecy comes. Some say it comes before the tribulation itself. Some say it comes at the beginning of the tribulation. Some say it's actually just same as Armageddon. It's the first stage of Armageddon. Whatever it is, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen at a time when the Jewish people are back in the land. It says very specifically it happens in the latter days when the people have been scattered are back in the land of Israel. As I said, there's a huge amount to go through here and I've only got a quarter of an hour left, so I'll go through just a few basic things here. Uh, Ezekiel 38. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshech and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws and feed, lead you out with all your army. Horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handing swords. Persia, Ethiopia and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Goma and all its troops, the house of Tagama from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you and be on guard for them. After many days you'll be visited. In the latter years you'll come into the land of those brought back from the sword, gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They are brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord on the day that I, you, it will come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages, I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without balls, having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited, against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods? Just to comment on those verses there. Uh, it says here that specifically that an alliance is going to come together in the latter days. A phrase which is used in Hebrew of the last days before the day of the Lord, before what we would call the second coming of Yeshua. It says it can come after Israel has been restored to the land. It says after they're dwelling safely. It doesn't actually say peaceably as it does in the AV. Hebrew word is betach, with security. Now, some have said, well, that doesn't fit in with the present situation. Israel obviously is not dwelling safely in the land. There's no security. Come back to that in a moment. The main players are a great power to the north. Elsewhere, it speaks about the uttermost north. It speaks about either the chief prince or the prince of Rosh, translating Nisi Rosh. Chief prince could mean the chief prince, the, chief, the ruler. Rosh means head, but Rosh can also mean Rossiya, Russia, prince of Rosh. And a lot of interpretations going back even to the 19th century, people say, well, this prophecy is about Russia coming against Israel. 19th century, how would Russia come against Israel? It didn't seem to make sense. Yet now Russia has troops in Syria. Russia is increasingly allied with Persia and other countries in this list. And Russia is taking increasingly a hostile attitude towards Israel. 
present time, Russia actually is deeply involved in Ukraine, which has turned out to be a military disaster for Russia, losing a lot of its troops and its forces. So how could Russia now take on another situation? If it is Russia, then I would say that something has to happen in Ukraine, either a resolution of the conflict or a... Well, that would have to be... It would have to be some kind of resolution when Russia gets its troops out and then is ready for another one. So probably not going to happen right away. And because of the security situation, some have said, well, this can't happen until there is some kind of a peace agreement which gives Israel some security. So after the Daniel 9, after the... Daniel 9 situation. We will see. I'm not making definite prophecies, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It also mentions Persia. Uh, Persia we can identify clearly, which is Iran, main enemy of Israel today, active in the Middle East, causing trouble, active in Syria, in Lebanon, to the north of Israel. You have Togama, which is possibly Turkey, Kush and Put, which are Sudan and Libya, which don't seem to have anything to do with it at the present time, but actually Russia is involved in both of those countries, uh, both of those countries in some kind of civil war, both of them Islamic countries. Is it possible this could happen? As I said, Russia already is involved in Syria to the north of Israel. It has an air base in Syria, it has two naval bases in Syria, and it has forces in Israel. It's also allied to Iran, that Iran has just given Russia a whole lot of drones to attack Ukraine with, and Russia is kind of beholden to Iran now. So there's a kind of deepening alliance between those two countries, both countries which are extremely ruled by extremely nasty people at the present time. Very nice people, been to Russia, love the Russian people, got a lot of Iranian friends here, love the Iranians, but governments which are horrible, one has to say and are doing all kinds of terrible things, which are suffering, causing the people themselves to suffer there. So, could this be? Could the West tire of arming Ukraine and Russia actually wins the war? Possible. Turkey is also on the side of Hamas, also in NATO, which complicates it, but becoming increasingly friendly to Russia. So, this war is going to come come before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation, we shall see. That's to say there is an alternative view which is held by Joel Richardson, who wrote a book called The Islamic Antichrist. He says that it's not Russia at all, it's Turkey. And the Gog and Magog war is the first part of Armageddon, which is led by the Mahdi, the Islamic fund leader who will come in the last war against Israel. Again, these things we'll have to see. I try to just give you the possibilities. I'm not giving you the definite interpretation of how it's going to happen. But these things are there in the scriptures, and if they're in the scriptures, they are going to happen at some time, sooner or later. You also have an interesting reference to Sheba and Dedan, and the young lions of Tarshish. So who are these people? Uh, Sheba and Dedan, they protest against the war. They say, have you come to take a spoil? Uh, Sheba and Dedan, almost certainly are countries on the Arabian Peninsula. The young lions of Tarshish, well, Tarshish was the far west of Israel in Bible times. So the countries of Tarshish look to Spain, to countries beyond there. So the west, Western Alliance, NATO, Europe, 
Russia, Europe, America. These countries could say, what are you doing? You're coming, we don't agree with this invasion. They protest, but they do nothing because God actually intervenes and God destroys this army as it comes against Israel. So that's the scenario in Ezekiel 38. Certainly it hasn't happened yet. At some point it will happen in the days before the second coming of Jesus. Just gonna read one more scripture and uh, we'll skip over Jeremiah 30 and go to Zechariah 12 if you can. Zechariah chapter 12 says, the burden of the word of the Lord against Israel Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. They will lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. It shall happen in that day that I make Jerusalem a very heavy stone or a burdensome stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will be surely cut in pieces so all nations of the earth are gathered against it. Here we have a remarkable prophecy given to Zechariah about the time before the day of the Lord. He says at this time, something gonna happen which is gonna cause all the nations of the earth to be gathered together against Jerusalem and Jerusalem is gonna be a burdensome stone, a burdensome stone, a stone which is a weight upon the people of the earth. They're all gonna be concerned about something about Jerusalem. You see that happening? Yeah. Jerusalem, the UN passes more resolutions on Jerusalem and Israel than any other place in the world. Jerusalem is the focus of attention of America, of Russia, of European Union, of the Arab world, the Muslim world, and of course, supremely of Israel, and of much of the Christian world, who can see the significance of Jerusalem. So we have this situation in which Jerusalem is now under Israeli control, but the nations want it to be changed, they want to divide it, so it's part under Arab control and part under Israeli control. Jerusalem, the burdensome stone, burdening all nations. Going to lead to the final conflict. And in the course of that conflict, it says in verse, in verse 10 of Zechariah, I'll pour on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, that they will look on me, whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Then in that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and uncleanness. One of the things I said at the beginning is that God blesses Israel when they're in a right relationship with him. If they're not in a right relationship, then they're actually not under God's blessing. They have to get something right with God. The Old Testament, they had to repent and follow the Torah, keep the commandments of God. But we're not living in the days of the Torah now, we're living in the days of the new covenant. So if Israel wants to be blessed and wants to be under God's protection, actually, ultimately, they've got to come into the new covenant through Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. They should look upon me, whom they have pierced and mourned for him as for an only son. Who could that be? Only one person, isn't it? Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. One who's been pierced, who's the only son, son of God, died for our sins. Look on him and mourn for him. Mourn for their sins, mourn for the years of separation, and repent and believe in Jesus. Then it says a fountain will be opened for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and uncleanness. How are our sins cleansed? They're sin cleansed by faith in Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. So the preparation actually for the coming of the Lord is Israel's repentance and turning to Yeshua the Messiah. 
through the time of great tribulation, which will come at the end of days. Then if you go to Zechariah 14, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Your spoil will be divided in your midst. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will <coughs> be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. It shall come to pass in that day there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It will be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening it shall happen and it will be light. That day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea, half of them towards the east, western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. <coughs> and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. Uh, one of the amazing prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures of the day of the Lord, which we would say the second coming of Jesus. Notice he's going to come at a time when the armies of the world are gathered together against Jerusalem and his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives, which is outside Jerusalem to the east. And he's then going to take up his rule over Jerusalem and over the world. He's going to come with the saints. That's with you and me. And with all the saints down through the ages. Those who have been caught up in the rapture, those who have died, are going to come back with Jesus and rule and reign with Jesus during the thousand years when he reigns on the earth. Something to look forward to. And as I said at the beginning, the good news actually is that the victory is with the Lord. So while you see all this stuff going on, Hamas, wars, Islamic fundamentalism, violence, chaos, suffering on massive scales all over the earth, in the end Jesus is going to come back. And he's the only one who can put it right. Unfortunately, the governments, the UN, the governments, the religious leaders, basically they don't have a clue. They can't do anything about it. They can't solve these problems. They can make proposals, but the proposals won't last. The only one who can bring the real peace is the one who made it in the first place, Yeshua, Jesus, who made the peace through the blood of the cross by dying for us and rising from the dead to give us eternal life. And all these things are pointing to the second coming of Jesus. So when you see these things beginning to happen, don't panic and give up. Look up, lift up your heads, your redemption draws near. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. And pray for the peace of Jerusalem and pray for Israel, that they too might be saved through faith in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. Pray that you bless your word and help us, Lord, to put it into practice. And we do pray for, again, for Israel and for the people who are suffering at this time, suffering all around the world, different disasters and chaos and confusion. Lord, we pray that you have mercy and that many people in these last days would call upon the name of Jesus and find salvation in your name. Amen.